Hello, it's Robert Bathurst here. I was one of the first guests on My Time Capsule, and Mike has asked me to tell you that you can now listen to the podcast ad-free by subscribing to Acast Plus. Details of how to join are in the description of each episode. Mike says it's very reasonably priced. In fact, Mike says it's a bargain. And who am I to disagree? Locked here in his cellar. Anyway, for a small subscription, Acast Plus, My Time Capsule, ad-free. Free. Unlike me. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello there, and welcome to My Time Capsule. I'm Mike Fenton-Stevens, and this is the podcast where I talk to various people about the five things from their life that they would choose to put in a time capsule. They pick four things that they love, but they also pick one thing that they would like to get rid of from their life, something they want to bury in the ground and never have to think about again. My guest in this episode is the actress Amanda Clapham, who became well-known as the character Holly Cunningham from the Channel 4 soap opera Hollyoaks, which she joined in 2013. Poor Holly and Amanda had a right old time of it. She had a relationship with Jason Roscoe, played by Alfie Brown Sykes, an affair with his brother, Robbie Roscoe, played by Charlie Wood, a drunk driving accident that killed Rachel Hardy, and she ended up taking drugs and having a relationship with Nathan Nightingale. Thank God it was acting. No wonder that after all that she left Hollyoaks and was very soon in the BBC medical drama Casualty. Amanda is actually Scottish, though you'd never know it from her accent. I only tell you that to prepare you for the thing that she chooses to put in the time capsule that she would like to banish. If you're Scottish and of a sensitive nature, then be prepared. Because here is Amanda Clapham and the five things she wants to put in her time capsule. Well, the way I've approached the time capsule, I found this quite hard because I don't have a lot of sentimental objects. Mm. I'm very much a memory person. So what I decided was if somebody found this time capsule, yeah. it should lead you to find something else about me as well as the object or thing that I'm putting in there. So are they connected then? Yeah, so it'll open up like a side of my life. So it'll lead to another thing. So if you're like, oh, what's this Amanda Clapham about? You could have a look at 
Well, hopefully it makes sense. Uh, this is how I made sense of it, <laughs> but that doesn't mean a lot. <laughs> so yeah, we'll just see how it goes. All right. Well, try it out on me. If it works with me, then it'll work with other people. Well, hopefully. I'll get to the end of it and say, well, I didn't know you were a mass murderer. <laughs> I'm not going to give that away. Oh, okay. <laughs> so what's your first item then? So my first item to put into the time capsule is my grandma and granddad's house. But it's not the house that my grandma's living in now. It's the, well, it's a bungalow, actually. And it's in Yorkshire, but it's only just in Yorkshire. And we've had this debate for many years within the family <laughs> about whether it's Lancashire or Yorkshire, because I thought my whole family were from Lancashire. But they're not, because <laughs> they live in Bentham. I say they, it's just my grandma now. Yeah. And there's a sign that says, welcome to Yorkshire, just as you pull into Bentham. So it's right on the edge, but they sound so Lancashire. So, you know, I mean, I'm not attached to that, but I am attached <laughs> to the house. <laughs> it was called Hustthwaite. Yeah. And it's on top of a hill. It's a massive part of my childhood. And they really did love having us up there. And it was in the countryside. It was beautiful. Mm. And we'd spend weeks there at a time. They would have us for a whole week, just me on my own or me and my cousin. Uh, we were quite close in age. It was just such yeah, such a lovely experience to have grandparents that really wanted to spend time with us and get us out into the countryside and get us doing so much, <laughs> actually. And not even, you know, my grandma said to me not long ago, she said, we didn't spend much money on you. We just took you out. And so my granddad used to get us to do woodwork in the garage and he'd give us a piece of wood and just go make something out of that. <laughs> Brilliant. And hand you sharp objects and knives and stuff, and off you went. Yeah. And then he also used to make model aeroplanes, and then we'd take them out into the fields and we'd fly them. <laughs> Brilliant. Which was so much fun. Um, and just, yeah, not something that I would do. I mean, I grew up in Warrington, so there weren't many fields around, and, um, <laughs> you know, we weren't flying planes in them. No. So how far away is Warrington from their bungalow? It was about... An hour and a half. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't like we would go, you know, at weekends and stuff. It would be more like the holidays, the school holidays would go. It's quite a special thing that, isn't it, I think? Particularly if you're going there and you're staying there not with your parents. Yes. Well, this happened a lot and I think my parents were also grateful for this. <laughs> <laughs> because I remember this one time that I'll never let my parents get away with. When I was around sort of five, my parents took my brother and sister, who were older than me, to Bulgaria on a skiing trip. So they basically said, you can go stay with Grandma and Grandad and have a great time at Grandma and Granddad's. Right. But I was so young and I missed them so much. And my grandma said, you just wailed and wailed and because you knew they were on this holiday that you didn't get to go on. Mm. And I've never been skiing in my life. And I blame my parents for that. <laughs> I mean, they haven't been skiing since, so they obviously didn't like it. No. <laughs> I mean, you may not have liked it, but five-year-old ski. Yeah, yeah, that's what I think. Tell my parents that, because <laughs> they won't listen to me. I will. So despite the fact that you wailed on that trip, the other ones were always just an adventure, were they? Yes. So, yeah, that was the only time that was not as fun. But we would all go around at Christmas as well, and Grandma used to grow her own vegetables, and she used to make jam, so she had her own fruit trees. You know, she very much a countryside experience. But it was just such a, a nice little village as well. I mean, she still lives there. She moved down the hill. They decided at one point when my granddad was getting ill, they're like, right, we're going to have to move down this hill. But now she lives on top of another hill that is... <laughs> 
A smaller hill, <laughs> but it's still <laughs> quite the climb. But yeah, we used to do all sorts. Like granddad would have us playing croquet and balls and he had an air rifle. So we used to do target shooting. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> yes, yeah, so all the activities. Oh, this is idyllic. I'm really <laughs> jealous now. I had an uncle who had an air rifle and I went on it once, I think. I went down to Laysdown, which is on the Isle of Sheppey. He had a chalet there, which seemed very posh, yeah. but I now know is not at all posh. <laughs> it's just a shed in the middle of a field. But I remember being allowed to fire the air rifle and thinking it was fantastic and then asking my mum if I could have one. And she said, no way. Absolutely not. No. <laughs> But only grandparents can do that sort of thing. And they can give you the time as well. Parents, of course, are always busy. Absolutely. And my parents have just retired. Well, sort of semi-retired. They're still working two days a week. And they've just moved to Ingleton, which is around the corner from Bentham, so that they're closer to my grandma because she's on her own now. Yeah. And they look after my niece, who is nearly three. And you can just see my dad is wanting to, you know, they've bought a bungalow and they want to have the same yeah. place for their grandkids. And dad's already taken her out on bike rides. And I can just see that he wants to do that. And my mum as well want to do that for them because it was such, you know, we were very lucky to have that experience. And my brother, he lives in Vietnam. He messaged my grandma not long ago and just said, thank you so much for our childhood. And he teaches kids for a living. And he just said, I just know how lucky we are that we had that. And it's so true. And it's contributed to my life so much. You know, I love going into the countryside. We do hikes. We all like to travel. So all these things that you might not have realised at the time has massively contributed to my life now. Yeah, and no, I can see that. A lot of people are brought up in a city. They say, I'm a city person, particularly when you're young. The countryside can seem very dull. Yes. And you hear a lot of people who are brought up in the countryside say, oh, I couldn't wait to get to the town. Mm. But when you are in a town, you're born in a town, and then you get to go and spend a week or two weeks just running around. It's the scale of the thing as well. Don't you say she had fruit trees and this is a big garden? Well, you could go all the way around the bungalow. So there was a path all the way around it. And I actually used to time myself running around it because <laughs> <laughs> I, I was very sporty. And I think I got it down to nine seconds, but I, I would spend a whole day timing myself with my granddad's stopwatch, <laughs> just running around the bungalow. And I'd be like, Grandma, I got it to nine seconds. And I wouldn't stop until I got it to my best time. And there was also a little triangle that was attached to, because I've got the old Yorkshire walls. Yeah. And there was a, a triangle space, which was all just sort of trees. and But there was this big tree that we always used to climb and sit in just on the edge. And it didn't belong to grandma and granddad. It belonged to a farmer up the road, mm. but they didn't mind us playing in it. And we've been back since, me and my cousin. Mm. And that triangle is just completely bare. Uh. Everything's gone. And it feels so weird yeah. because that was such a memory for us. Yeah. She's still in Bentham and it's it's a lovely little village. It's a very small place, but I just absolutely love it. Like, I love it. And I'm really glad that my parents have found somewhere not far from there. Yeah, lovely. They clearly loved young people. To take on children, have them stay for a while. Yeah. I recently had my grandchildren two of my grandchildren stayed just overnight. And it's been a while because of COVID. So we were delighted. But bloody hell, we were exhausted the next day. Just one night. <laughs> <laughs> so. Oh, yeah, I find it exhausting. <laughs> but my cousins all have kids. So they're always bringing the kids to see her because she just loves it. Um, you're right. They did love looking after children and taking us on adventures. And it was brilliant. I'm trying to conjure a picture of him in my head, you know. And I can see your grandmother, I can see her making jam. 
<laughs> yeah. Great jam. In the vegetable patch. Yeah. I've put a penny on her. <laughs> All right, I'm going to take your yeah. beautiful bungalow. Isn't it funny how old people go for a bungalow? My parents bought a bungalow in 1966, so they would have been in their 40s. And I remember them saying, we're buying a bungalow because when we get old, we won't have to worry about stairs. And I thought, you've got years yet. But then you don't want to move house all the time, do you? Especially as you get older. And my grandma lives in a bungalow now and she fell over the other day because she's always falling over. Bless her. Um, She's fractured a hip in three places. And Uh, it's like, grandma, you've got to stop. Well, as Tommy Cooper said, she's got to stop going to those places. (laughs) Yeah. We shall move on to your next item. We put your grandparents' bungalow in there as your first item. So what's number two? So my second item, I don't have it. There's a reason why I don't have it, like physically. But it's um, it's a Lecoq Sportif tracksuit in cream and white. Right. The reason I've picked this tracksuit is because it was something that, as a child, I really wanted. <laughs> I was a tomboy, so I would always look forward to the next sort of set of trainers that I would buy. I used to buy the Liverpool football kit every year on my birthday. <laughs> but as I was getting towards a teenager... I love tracksuits. I was always in tracksuit bottoms. And I just, all my friends had this Lecoq Sportif tracksuit in cream and white. And it was the newest one that everybody had. And I saved up all my paper round money and bought this tracksuit. And it was so nice and so uh, white and cream (laughs) that I didn't wear it straight away. But when I did decide to wear it, I was hanging out with my best mate, Claire. And behind my house, or my old house, there's a brook. Mm. And this day, (laughs) uh, me and my friend used to hang out at this brook. There was a tree that had a bendy branch that you could swing across. Yeah. But it was quite a sturdy tree. So we used to just play around swinging over the brook. And on this day, the brook was really high. There was obviously must have been a lot of rain that week. Then we took a walk along the brook Mm. uh, behind houses. And um, as we got towards the end, the brook sort of widened. And I don't know how we got onto this conversation, (laughs) but my best friend, and I I say it to her all the time, but she said to me, there was another tree. And these trees, the branches were so thin, but really bendy. And I was just playing around with one. And my best friend said to me, go on, I dare you to swing on it across the brook like the other one. (laughs) And I was like... Well, you were a tomboy. You couldn't resist it, could you? And I also got challenged. Um, and she was the cool one. She was the one that I sort of, she set the example mm. and I sort of followed. I mean, she kind of still does. <laughs> <laughs> but she said to me, she said, go on, a day to swing across on that branch. She went, it'll be fine. I was like, it's really thin. She went, go on, don't be a chicken. <laughs> <laughs> and as soon as she said that, I was like, yeah, I can do it. Yeah, of course I can. I'm not scared. <laughs> and without even hesitating, I just grabbed hold of it and swung across the, the brook. <laughs> and I managed to make it to the other side. But as it then came back this way, got to the middle and snapped. <gasps> and I just went plummeting into the brook, went head underwater, everything. <laughs> and it's gross, the brook. It's so muddy, the water. It's, it's grim. Went right <laughs> under. And I gave my friend a shock because she was like, Amanda! <laughs> Yeah, as um, if, and, uh, as if she didn't yeah. expect that to happen. And then I was like trying to clamber up because the, the walls were quite high. And I was in this tracksuit, my white and cream tracksuit oh. the whole time. But as I was clambering up the wall, she went, are you okay? And like tried to help me up. And I stopped for a second and went, oh my God. She went, what? I went, a squirrel. <laughs> she was like, what? <laughs> what? 
How random is that? Like I'd never seen a squirrel before. <laughs> so she got me out of the brook and I was obviously like sodden. And I just remember looking down at this tracksuit, which was no longer white and cream. And, and it's the first time I wore it. And all I could think about was, what am I going to do? Mum and dad are going to kill me. So we went back to Claire's house and we told Claire's mum because... I've named her now. I've named and shamed her. <laughs> We've got the first name. Yeah. <laughs> um, we went back to Claire's and her mum put it in the wash for me. She put vanish on it, everything. And it just didn't come out the same colour. So it never came back to its pristine state. It really didn't. And it's such a vivid memory. <laughs> um, so I don't obviously have it physically because it went in the bin soon after. I actually think I hid it from my parents when I got home because I thought somehow it might go back to cream and white, <laughs> uh, but it obviously didn't. So I think I hid it for a long time before I put it in the bin because mm. also, for some reason, as a teenager, you think your parents go through the bin, so I didn't want them to even find it in there. <laughs> go through the bin. <laughs> <laughs> when you've got strict parents, anything is possible. What is it about teenagers, the way that their brains work? We've all done that when we were teenagers. You see the world in a completely different way, don't you? The idea that yeah. my parents will almost certainly go through the bin every week to make sure I'm not hiding anything. <laughs> no, they won't. I don't know. It's the fear. It's the fear. Going through bins. I can tell you my father was once left in charge of my mother's jewellery. My mother said, look, I'm going away on holiday. Look after my jewellery, but don't leave it in there in case we get burgled. Hide it somewhere. So he hid it between the inside packet and the outside cardboard of a cornflake packet because he thought, nobody's ever going to think of that. It's a good hiding place. During that week, he finished the cornflakes and threw the box away. Oh, no. With all the jewellery in it. And he only remembered it when he heard the bin men driving off. He ran after them, and they said, well, we're taking it to the dump mate. And he followed them, and he dug through all this rubbish. He'd never found oh. it, never found it. It's one day somebody will. And it was about, and now we're talking a long time ago, he said that... If he'd been insured, he would have been making a claim of over £50,000 worth of jewellery. Wow. And that was in the 1970s. It's a lot of money, isn't it? Wow. That's my bloody yeah. inheritance, that is. <laughs> Just down at the tip now. Go on. <laughs> no inheritance for you. <laughs> I think the reason why I put the tracksuit in there as well is because it kind of opens up a side of my life as a kid. I was never in dresses or skirts and and it was a very different time then as well I was on the football team you know I wanted to be an athlete I was really into my sport and the clothes that I wore was always from the boys section I wouldn't wear girls clothes mm. it was a huge thing when I was a kid that now I wasn't the type to wear socks over the tracksuit bottoms <laughs> I don't know if you remember that trend Mike but there was a trend yes, I do. where the socks went over the tracksuit bottoms I wasn't one of them but what no. I was I'd wear the socks right up to the line where the tracksuit bottoms, the elasticated bit ended. Yeah. So you could see the sock, but it wasn't over the tracksuit. No. And because of that, we got called the posh crew <laughs> because we had nice tracksuits. And you didn't tuck your socks in. Because <laughs> <laughs> we didn't tuck our socks in. You know, it was a thing. And so I feel like this tracksuit opens up such a side to my life that maybe people wouldn't know about me. Well, they do now. <laughs> <laughs> Well, well done. You should be proud of yourself. Yeah, I think I've always been like that. Even as a kid, you know, on the football team, girls weren't allowed on the football team in high school. No. But in primary school, I was. But I remember my dad taking me to, it was like a, a Saturday 
session where we could sign up, pay a bit of money and get a football coach from Liverpool to come and teach us for a Saturday. Wow. And I begged my dad to let me go, but I wouldn't play. And I used to get a fear. And, and it's really interesting when I look at it now, because I was so scared to get involved, even though in my own school year, I would play with all of my friends and I'd play on the school football team. But mm. on this special day where there was people from other schools as well, I was the only girl at the time doing it. And my dad was like, go on, you know, you really wanted to come here. You wanted to do this. Mm. And I think I took part for about five minutes and then I cried and went and stood next to my dad. And I think it's because I wanted to do what all the boys were doing, but there was a part of me that was thinking, well, I'm different in this situation and I feel a bit more exposed. Mm. And then when I got to high school, it was like, no, you, you can't be on the football team. But the boys were allowed to play hockey. And so I think I just noticed all of this from a very young age. Yeah. And I've always fought against it. <laughs> yeah, it was an unjust world. It's not fair. It is changing dramatically, though, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. And it's an admirable thing to be an athlete. You yeah. know? They're the icons. Yeah, yeah. And to be that fit and to be that healthy is a, it's just a wonderful thing. Absolutely, yeah. And I think that was part of my personality as well, even with clothes. I've always worn what I want to wear, even at that age where people are like, why aren't you wearing a dress? I'm yeah. like, I don't care. I wish I had more of that. <laughs> As you get older, you actually lose a bit of that. <laughs> yeah, and then particularly you get onto television and you're known for being very beautiful. And, and Oh, Mike, stop. <laughs> it was just a reminisce about my own life. <laughs> Thinking back to my own youth. Yeah, no, you know, that sort of thing. And, and so, in fact, you're under enormous pressure. Yeah. I think young women particularly are under that incredible pressure to always look right and always look a certain way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's shocking some of the stuff that women have to put up with. Mm -hmm. You see it in the papers all the time with people that are in the sort of limelight. And I, I do feel like there's a lot of people now that are really pushing past that and, and really standing up for women and saying, it's so ridiculous when you don't do it with men. En masse, men are going, yeah, yeah. good. But somebody said this. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, that, that's the Lecoq Sportif tracksuit in there. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Well, it'll go in there and it will be so pristine. Yeah, can it be when it was new? It was such a short-lived thing. <laughs> <laughs> no, it didn't last. The white is going to be so white. Oh, it's personal white. Brilliant. OK, that's the second one. <laughs> right, well, let's move on. What's number three? OK, we're going to take a short break here, but we will be back with you very soon. Crocodile-can't-stick-out-its-tongue. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? 
helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome back to My Time Capsule with the lovely Amanda Clapham. Right, let's discover what else she would like to put in her time capsule. Okay, so this is the physical thing that I have. Oh, right. I will show you because I do have it here. Okay, so you know how I said I'm not very sentimental with objects? Mm. I've come to realise doing this. But there's one thing that really has survived. I've moved house a lot in my time, Mike. (laughs) I've moved a lot. (laughs) And um, this, this pink shiny lycra leotard (laughs) is something that has survived every single house move. I have something very similar. Oh, you do? (laughs) (laughs) Where does that come from? So is that from a long way back? No, it, this is from my adulthood. <laughs> is it now? So this was actually for a show that I did in Edinburgh at the festival when I first left drama school with my friends who are a comedy duo called Norris and Parker. And they sort of formed in second year at drama school. So they decided they wanted to go to Edinburgh in the summer. It's the first time they went and they had to do free fringe. They'd never been to Edinburgh before and they needed a technician, you know, a techie but they couldn't really afford one because it's just, it's so expensive to do Edinburgh. And when you've just been a student and you're starting out, it's, you know, it's a lot. Anyway, they said to me, how do you feel about being our techie, but we'll make you a cameo in the show? And I was like, do you know what? I haven't got any plans this summer. Why not? It'll be fun with you two. Uh, And I'll get to see lots of shows. So anyway, we start to do this show and the cameo just kind of got bigger and bigger because there was lots of things that they then would go, oh, you can do this and you can do that and you can do this. <laughs> um, and actually, I was a techie that was on show, so you could see me the whole time wearing this. Um, and I played their manager that managed them but didn't really know what she was doing. Mm. So after we did all the fundraising and we got there, we did it in a place called Ryan's Cellar Bar, which was sort of like nearer the castle. Yeah. And it was such a great experience. And I think because we just left drama school, we didn't know what we were doing. We didn't know the industry. It was such a time in all of our lives that we were like, okay, what do we do? <laughs> How do we do this? Like, what's the rules and who's coming to see what and what should we go and see? And I'd never been to Edinburgh. Uh, my family are from Scotland, but mm. I'd never been to Edinburgh. And I absolutely loved it. We've just got such great memories from it. And this, I realised, so this is what they decided, I sh- well, they asked if I could wear this. <laughs> so I had to wear this with some hot pants. Oh, Lord. Which obviously I agreed to. Yeah, yeah, of course, <laughs> why not? If you can get away with it. <laughs> well, well, what they had me do was, we went on the Royal Mile and we were flyering because we all had to fly for our own show. Mm. And in the show, they would do character comedy. So they'd go from one sort of character sketch to another. And then they'd sort of come out of character and be a version of themselves. And that's the bits that I was in. And I was their manager. And we were talking about the show itself uh, in front of the audience. You know, have you sold many tickets? And (laughs) and, um, one thing that they put in the show was that I had to say, they, they convinced me, my character, that I had to flyer for them and tell everybody it was a ping pong show. (laughs) 
in this outfit. Yes. And that was part of the show. <laughs> but then when we did fly it, they were in full Victorian costumes because of one of the, char- the characters they did. And I was in this. And I actually did hand out flyers dressed like this. And what I learned was, you know, at the very early stages of my career is that in this industry, people will try and sexually exploit me. Uh. And it will start with my very best friends. Mm. <laughs> but it really just makes me laugh that I've, I've kept hold of this. Mm. But it was just such a fun time. <laughs> and of all the things I think of in my career, that always just pops up because it was so much fun. And yeah. they used to change things on the night all the time. And I, I don't know why, but for some reason, I was like, yeah. I'll wear that. And if you just think of the Lecoq Sportif tracksuit to this, like, how did that happen? When did that happen? Suddenly, it was all right to be unbelievably girly. Like shiny lycra and pink. Like, <laughs> I, I, I just don't know what happened, Mike. I don't know. It was just one of those things. But you've hung on to it, so it's not an unpleasant memory. It's a joyous time. Oh, it was great. They actually did really, really well because I think because it was free and it was in quite a busy passing area. The audiences were full, like, every night. Made a lot of money. Well, because this girl in hot pants and... (laughs) (laughs) It's because they all thought it was a ping-pong show. (laughs) Brilliant. Oh, I love ping-pong. Let's go. (laughs) You do know what I mean by a ping-pong show, don't you, Mike? Yes, I do, yes. Oh, I I thought you did, but then I thought I'd better just check, just in case. Um, I'm being polite. Oh, you are being polite. Okay. Um, (laughs) (laughs) We stayed in this apartment as well, which was really nice. We stayed above this bar called Dirty Dicks. Yes, I knew it. Yeah, it was really, the food was really nice and it was a really nice bar. It was a lovely place to be in the summer. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, so lots of shows and the weather was mostly good um, and I hadn't been before. So how, how soon after that did Hollyoaks come along? Well, the day I got back from Edinburgh, I got the call about an audition for Hollyoaks. So I'd just come off of, you know, feeling buzzed. Yeah. So I must have had this air about me as well that I just walked in and um, because it was a comedy show as well, I was sort of like ad-libbing a bit and, and they got me to improvise. So I was just sort of just trying to be a bit funny with the character. So I just had a lot of fun. And so the audition was the next day. So I got back and the next day I had my first audition for Hollyoaks and then two weeks later I found out I had a recall I didn't know what the part was because I was a recast at the time and then I got another recall which I didn't think I'd get because I was sat in this room full of like Mm. 17 year old models and I just thought there's no way and so I didn't really think about it and then I got another recall like two days later in London in Spotlight and they said to me look if you get this job you will be starting in two days' time. Wow. So I'm just letting you know, and you'll be filming within a couple of days because it was a recast. Yeah. So it was very last minute. Um, And I found out on the Monday after the week, I had to wait over the weekend because I think that recall was on a Saturday. I kind of knew I'd got it, but I had to tell myself I hadn't. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Because I just felt really... I mean, Steph, who played my mum, we got on so well Mm. and we just had great chemistry straight away. And... You know, she had, I had to play her daughter for years, so she obviously had a say as well. Mm. And then, yeah, found out. And then, so I got back from Edinburgh and then was straight into Hollyoaks. So. so it was well worth wearing that leotard and jumping about. And- it, do you know what? It was. And I wore stuff like, probably, <laughs> like more, uh, what should I say? I'm trying to pick my words wisely. <laughs> <laughs> Slightly more revealing clothes than this on Hollyoaks. <laughs> but never that pink. Never. Well, she did have some pink numbers, but 
um, it was a great time. It led from one thing to another. So. Yeah. And I love the sense of you coming down the day after and having been on this adventure and had this fun, mm. that that gives you the confidence and courage to just say, well, look, this is who I am. You know, ask mm. me to do something, I'll do it. I can do it. Absolutely. And there yeah. you are, the door's open. Yeah. Well, then we will treasure that because it's a great stepping stone, isn't it? And I'm not surprised you still got it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a little surprised I've still got it, but <laughs> it, it will now have to stay with me forever. Yeah. <laughs> Well, we'll put it into the time capsule. That will keep it safe. Yeah. Lovely. All yeah. right. So what's next? We've got item number four. <laughs> so the fourth thing that I'm putting into the time capsule is a book on fencing. <laughs> and we're not talking about building a fence, are we here? No. No, no, no. It's the sport. The sport of fencing. The sport of fencing. Um, I'm putting this book in because if you looked at it and you didn't really know me, you would probably assume I was a fencer or I was really into fencing or something, mm. but I wasn't. I got this because I was doing Camp America. I was applying for Camp America in between my second and third year at drama school. And I applied quite late. So a lot of the positions had been filled, mm. but they said that they always struggle to find fencing instructors <laughs> to come to America and teach fencing. And they were the only positions left for me to apply for. And I'd just done my stage combat exam at Manchester School Theatre where I went to drama school. And I loved it. I, I mean, I did the, the exam twice because there was an odd number and I loved it that much that I wanted to do it twice. <laughs> so I thought, stage combat, fencing, that's the same thing. I can do that. Yeah. <laughs> it's either go to Camp America or enter the Olympics, one or the other. <laughs> exactly. So I just said to myself, right, I can do this. I'm going to apply to be a fencing instructor. And then I got this book as well to sort of teach myself the sport, just the rules of the game, because I wasn't having to do it. I was just having to teach other people to do it. Yeah. And I managed to convince the people that employed me that I could do this. So they gave me a job <laughs> and I took this with me and had it to keep referencing. <laughs> and I just remember getting there and thinking, how have I done this? Like, how, how am I a fencing instructor? <laughs> But to, to be fair, the kids that wanted to do it, because it was an option. So you had the general counsellors, which is what I kind of wanted to do originally, where you go on all the activities with them for the day. So they go to the lake, mm. they'll play basketball or they'll play a couple of sports um, and like arts and crafts. I wanted to do that originally. Oh, yeah. But the specialist people like me <laughs> um, who taught a specific subject, it was an option. So they had to pick it. So the kids that kept picking fencing were obviously the sort of six to eight-year-old boys that just wanted to stab each other with swords. <laughs> but they did have, <laughs> which I understand, um, but they did have all of the kits. So they had the full outfit. And obviously when you jab them, it's got like the little thing on the end that bleeps it. So it bleeps when you stab them in the vest. And I had the machine that did all of that, but I hadn't used the machine. I just knew the sort of on guard and, you know, <laughs> and the sort of leaps. I knew all the positions, but I didn't know yeah. how the actual technical side of it worked. So we had a, a week before the kids got there, so I had to try and figure it out. I didn't let them stab each other until after two classes. And I taught them all about the sword, all about the on guard position. Mm. Um, and then they were allowed to put them on. And they just wanted to hear that bleep. And just, they would just stab each other. Like, I did try and teach them form, but they didn't care about that. They just wanted, you know. So how long is that job then? How long do you spend in America doing that? 
it was for seven, either seven or eight weeks that I was teaching and staying over at this camp. And then I had about nearly two months to travel afterwards, which is what this led to. (laughs) So, (laughs) yeah, so I taught fencing, really enjoyed it. Don't think I'll be teaching fencing again anytime soon or taking part in it. (laughs) That's a shame. Where did you go afterwards? Where did you manage to travel to? So we were in Pennsylvania and we were right on the edge of New York. So we started in New York Mm. and two girls that I met at camp, we went travelling together and we went to Florida, then went down to Miami, which was amazing. And then we went over to LA. Brilliant. And then down to San Diego. And then I went back to Connecticut because, yeah, the woman who was my boss at the time at the camp, she lived in Connecticut and we got on really well. So I went and stayed with her and her family Mm -hmm. just before I went back home. And it was just such an adventure because we did it. We did all the hostels and backpacks and and travelled. I made some massive mistakes with my backpack. Whilst I was at camp, I ordered more books, but they were hardback books because I knew I was going back to my third year of drama (laughs) school. And I was like, I need to read this book by Judy Dench and I need to read this. (laughs) And I decided to buy a hardback and put it in my backpack. Like, who does that? So, yeah, and it was a really good experience. And those two girls that I travelled with, we had such a good time, like so many silly things. And I've, I've travelled with them since because I love to see the world. And um, since then, when I was in Hollyoaks, I had quite a, a bit of time off in summer once. And one of our friends out of us three, she was travelling since then. She didn't stop travelling. And she was just determined to see as many countries as she could. And she was in Scandinavia that summer. And she said, why don't you and Jess come to Norway and uh, Denmark and, and sort of come and have a bit of time with me? And we were like, yeah, OK. And this was years later, but we just knew how to travel together. <laughs> and I love it. I love that we had that experience so many years ago and then we could just go back to it. Yeah, but it seems to me, Amanda, that right from the start of your life, well, if you look at you as a tomboy, just doing what you felt you wanted to do and not following the mm. crowd, and then you go off to drama school and... Uh, then you go to Edinburgh with yeah. a bunch of mates and pretend you can play ping pong. <laughs> then you dive into the audition for Hollyoaks and get that. And then you jump at the opportunity to go to America and pretend that you can fence. <laughs> Followed by going all over America with two people that you'd only just met. It seems to me that every time you're presented with an opportunity, mm. you jump at it. You can see that again and again in your life. An audition for Hollyoaks, well, for some people that would be terrifying because of the prospect of what it will bring. Yeah. But you go in there and you, you're being funny. You're adding to the character. You're developing it almost immediately before you've even got the job. Mm. And that sense of adventure that's been instilled in you is very clear. Yeah. Very clear. Well, my grandma did say to us, whatever you do in this life, just make sure you're adventurous and you go on adventures. And, uh, yeah, I have done. And I, I think as well, for me, all my friends live far away from me. (laughs) Um, You know, I've got a couple of people that are on my doorstep, you know, and I've lived in different places. I lived in Manchester for a long time. I've now lived in Liverpool for six years now. And I know that this isn't where I'm going to stay. And I'm happy with that because it means that a lot of my friends live in London. Yeah. I guess naturally. I've got friends in America now and I've got friends all over the place. And I, I, I know that I will continue to make friends because it's not about having you know, a long list of friends that, you know, I'm not necessarily wanting to be friends with everybody. (laughs) No, but I bet if I spoke to your parents, though, if I asked your parents, how do you feel about Amanda? They'd go, oh, she'd be fine. Yeah. (laughs) I bet they're not worried about you. Well, 
Well, I mean, I think all parents worry to an extent, but you're right. That they've, you know, as a kid as well with them, they took me on holiday. They said, we want to spend our money on your education and taking you on adventures. And we did not go on a beach resort holiday. We did not get to do that sort of sit around a pool for a week. And I, as a kid, didn't like that. I was like, I want to go to the beach. I want to do what my friends are doing. They're like, no, we're going to go stay in, in this little village in France. <laughs> they're, not, they're not our big. I don't know why I did that. <laughs> Mum's Scottish, so she wouldn't even sound like that. But, she, you know, we're going to go stay in this, this little village and you're going to understand what it's like to live there. And I was like, okay. And I appreciate it now. I love that now. We went everywhere. And... I was yeah. so lucky that that was part of, again, a part of my childhood. And as I get older, I, I realise more and more just how lucky I had it. Um, it's that sense of adventure that I've got a bit of information. <laughs> I've got enough to know that it'll be all right. It'll figure itself out. And my dad's the same with DIY. He's taught me how to do everything in this house. And he's like, you'll be able to do it now. And I have. <laughs> it's not perfect. <laughs> but you apply that then to your acting. You apply that to your job. Yeah. And it gives you a freedom and a willingness to experiment and a willingness to have yes. a go that will always stand you in good stead. Oh, thanks, Mike. Hope so. <laughs> I'm not worried. I'm not worried. <laughs> no, I, you're right. And that's why I love this job, because it is, it's, it's fun. And like you said, mm. we don't have to grow up. Not really. No. no. I hope not. <laughs> but we do have to put something in there you want to get rid of. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, well, this might be a little controversial, mm. especially for my family. But you know what? As soon as I thought of this one thing, I couldn't get it out of my brain. I was like, it has to go in. So I did give it thought, mm -hmm. just <laughs> as a warning. <laughs> and the thing that I would like to put in the time capsule that I would love to never see again never hear of again is haggis <laughs> have you tried haggis mine i have have you enjoyed it uh, well to begin with i quite like it with breakfast, <laughs> you, you know? didn't you didn't like it I, that hesitation I means that you did not like the haggis uh, well all right no it's a, it's an acquired taste that's what yes I, it certainly is or in your case not an acquired taste yeah. Well, I just, yeah, no, I just don't think it should exist. And I'm sorry, Scotland, I am. I am Scottish. I was born in Aberdeen. My mum is Scottish. And I feel bad because at the beginning of this podcast, I was talking about putting my dad's side of the family into as a nice thing. Mm. And I now feel bad for my Scottish side of the family that I'm banishing. <laughs> They've been banished <laughs> with the haggis. But... Love my Scottish family, but I don't love haggis. And the reason being, not just the fact that it's basically sheep's lungs and stomach and all sorts of grossness, but it's it's the fact that as a child, this was not the rosy side of my childhood. As a child, mum would make us neeps and tatties and haggis and thought it was a lovely meal. And everyone else just ate it, just loved it. And I was that kid that was sat at the table, I was the youngest as well, but... That just if you didn't eat your dinner, you had to stay at the dinner table until you finished it, pretty much. Mm -hmm. And don't even think about dessert. But every time it was haggis, I hated it. I hated it. I'd even put so much ketchup on it <laughs> to make it taste nicer. And it still was 
horrific. And the, you know, there's like little white bits in it. <laughs> yes. That I can only assume is gristle. Um, <laughs> I convinced myself that they were little teeth. They looked like little teeth. <laughs> and do you know what? They probably were because <laughs> everything else is in there. So <laughs> I refused to eat the haggis. And I think I managed to have like a few spoonfuls, but it was... So- I know people have this with vegetables and they were like, oh, I was force-fed vegetables as a kid. I was like, yeah, but were you force-fed haggis? <laughs> because it's just not the same thing. No. Vegetables, I can eat them all day long. And you know what? I don't eat meat anymore and I'm not trying to push my plant-based lifestyle on anybody. But haggis, just nobody needs to eat haggis. <laughs> it, it's just, it's not right. <laughs> and I don't want to see it again. And mum will argue with me, and well, I feel bad I've put her in the negative side of the time capsule. No, it's all right. I mean, you know, people say, well, what about the tradition of it? What tradition? <laughs> I can accept that there's tradition, but also we don't do bear baiting anymore. That was an old tradition. We got rid of it. <laughs> Absolutely. So I'm perfectly happy if you want to put it in there and it'll be gone from your life. No more haggis. I mean, actually, whilst I'm here, I might as well put the battered Mars bar in there as well because I don't understand why they do that. <laughs> I mean, I don't like batter anyway, but I just don't know. It, that, no. that can go in as well. Yeah, so sorry, Scottish family. That's all right. <laughs> do you know, for one moment, I couldn't tell whether you were going to go for something like Haggis or something astonishingly serious. You completely <laughs> fooled me. I sat here while you held that pause. Well, you've passed the acting audition without a doubt. <laughs> oh, thanks, Mike. Don't take the seriousness away from the banishing of haggis. <laughs> oh, Amanda, that's absolutely brilliant. Thank you so much for doing this. It's lovely to see you. That's OK. And how delightful, when I said, do you want to do this? You said, yeah, we well, didn't we meet in the green room of Hollyoaks? <laughs> yeah. I've never been so complimented. Uh, I only did one episode of Hollyoaks. Oh, I remember you, though. That's a prime example of what I was saying to you about you just taking things and accepting them. Some random old bloke turns up in the green room, (laughs) starts chatting to you, and you chat away and and have a completely open and friendly conversation, and then we wander away and you remember it. And I'm so complimented by that. I can't tell you. Oh, my. Well, I'm complimented that you remember me as well, because, (laughs) you know, that... The ch- the chats that happened in that green room, there were so many people. I met some great actors that used to come in just for a couple of episodes or for a short stint. Yeah. Yeah, and I used to love those conversations because you see the same people all the time mm-hmm. when you're there day after day, which has its own comfort. But I also was really aware of guest artists just being there for a day mm. because it's such a machine. If you come into that green room, it can be quite daunting. Mm. So I was always really aware of guest artists and wanting to sort of connect with them and see if they're all right, if they need to know anything as well. Well, thank you. You did it beautifully. Oh, well, I hope so. Right, OK, I'm going to let you get on with your life. But thank you so much for doing this. It's really sweet of you. Thanks, Mike. I've really enjoyed it. You have been listening to My Time Capsule with me, Mike Fenton-Stevens, and my guest, lifting our spirits with her zest for life, 
Amanda Clapham. This was a cast-off production. The theme tune was by Pass the Peas Music and is available on Spotify, and the producer was John Fenton-Stevens. Now, please, if you haven't done so already, do subscribe, rate, and maybe even review this podcast. And then perhaps follow me and my time capsule on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. Then you can find out where I live, hide in the bushes, and take candid pictures of me putting the bins out, uh, which you can then plaster all over that special little room you have in your house that only you are allowed in, you know, padlocked at other times while you recover from the surgery that makes you look like a waxwork model of me. Of course, that's just the really committed fans. But um, apparently most of them have been committed. Bye. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.